This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Worldplayed, BFM's video game show. We'll be running up some of the biggest news and releases from the month of October with Jonathan Leo from kakuchupore.com. Let's start with the news and one big news that dominated headlines this month involves Platinum Games and their latest release, Bayonetta 3. I'll let John elaborate on the controversy involving the former voice actress for the main character, Helena Taylor and Platinum Games. Yes, I shall. So, basically, there were a lot of rumors going on earlier on before October hit where the original voice actress for Bayonetta, Helena Taylor, will not be reprising her role. A lot of people have a bunch of rumors stating that, oh, she could be just doing a cameo thing. It could be a replacement or something is up, basically, like what's going on here and there with people making predictions that it may have been story-related. And then the actress herself, Helena Taylor spoke out on Twitter about, I believe it was last week or the week prior, uh, at this time of recording, where she stated that she's actually getting her final offer to voice the game was actually 4000 for the whole game, for all of Bayonetta 3, the final offer from Platinum Games. She turned it down and, of course, stating that, yeah, this is basically unfair and an insult to her career and whatnot because uh, she was a pretty big theatre actress. And yeah, a lot of fans, and because of this whole underpaying thing for VOs, especially with that whole thing going on. And essentially, a lot of people supported her, fans and content creators here and there. And then the fact that Platinum Games' producer for the game, Hideki Kamiya, basically was blocking people left and right following this outrage and saying that she was basically lying, actually did, um, did, didn't really do the company any favors per se. And also Jennifer Hale herself, who was actually voicing Bayonetta and Bayonetta 3. Also, under NDA, she can't really say much. But she did post a tweet stating that she was offered a job and, you know, she did her job, lah, more or less. And she was hired for this here and there. And she did say that, you know, because a lot of people worked on the game and all that, she had to remind people that that was a fact here and there. And obviously, she did retweet and she did like a bunch of posts and tweets from different voice actors talking about the state of VOs in video games. Now, after all that, I think it was a day later, Bloomberg uncovered from two sources that the VO contract for Helena Taylor was actually for multiple sessions, not just one time. So the actual total that she has to record was up to 15k total for, I believe, four or five sessions. Now... She originally stated that the whole thing was 4K. And then this report itself said that it was 15K for multiple sessions. With at least one session being 4K. And you know, like 4 times 4 or 5 will be like, what, 15K plus or so? Along with some benefits because of the union thing that Helena Taylor was signed under. And then the actual report stated that originally Helena wanted a six-figure payout because, you know, of the importance of the character and her voice in Bayonetta 1 and 2. And again... After that, it actually got more complicated. Helena herself actually tweeted to clarify that, you know, people are actually accusing her of, you know, being like a gold digger or whatnot, and she had to clarify some things. Now, what she stated in the latest tweet a couple of days ago well, actually did clarify, confirm that her initial insulting offer was US 10K, not 4K, up to 15K basically, with the different sessions here and there. So that US 4K actually came almost a year after she turned down her role reprisal. 
So this 4K itself was actually to voice some lines for a cameo appearance, presumably as another Bayonetta, as, you know, Bayonetta 3 is dealing with, like, multiple versions of the same character in the story based on the trailer. So in other words, Helena herself actually did lie under a mission. So there is actually some important key information that she hid in the initial post a week prior, which is kind of sad because the actual industry for voiceovers for video games is, you know, as well as for anime by proxy, by extension, is that a lot of people are getting screwed over and, you know, getting underpaid. Because when you look at the movies and all that, you get residuals usually, especially if it's like a high-profile role, like a main character in an animation or, you know, Kevin Conroy as Batman. I mean, he would have gotten residuals from the Batman franchise and whatnot. Or even Mark Hamill as the Joker, as that's a very prominent voice. But for video games, it's a completely different story because especially for someone like Jennifer Hale, there's only one person out of like the hundreds of people who are voicing main characters who actually give life and whatnot for these video games here and there. And they're not getting paid more apart from the initial payment, like, you know, like the 10K for the multiple amount of sessions here and there. Now, I do have a bit of a hot take on this, especially when you look at it from a video game company's kind of perspective. Now, if let's just say the game doesn't have a... Okay, let's compare this to movies. So if a big VO does not reprise his or her role in the video game, if the video game is great, the game will still sell. I mean, boycotts are one thing. I mean, Helena did say that she wanted people to boycott, but you know how well that turns out, right? Boycotting in video games, not really going to happen, right? Now, if let's just say Tom Cruise does not reprise his role in... Mission Impossible, you have a bunch of scenes without Tom Cruise and you can't make a movie out of that, right? So again, this is from a perspective of like a producer or whatnot where if some things cannot work out the way they can, they just replace the voice actress and the game is still sell regardless. It is sad, don't get me wrong. I mean, I do support talent first, but I'm actually looking at this as well from a producer and a developer standpoint where you have to ship a game you got to get the voice actors coming in and if you cannot well that's just business lah somehow i do wish there was a way to get the residual thing done but it's still a very sore spot for you know video game industry i mean wouldn't you agree yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like you, I, I, I'm so all for fair uh, compensation for um, people who are involved in video games, especially for voice actors as well. But at the same time, um, yeah, there, there must be, a, a, I guess, a middle ground that we have to somehow uh, meet at, right? You know, to a certain extent. I mean, the union thing is a good idea still. I mean, at least you get a bit more pay and benefits from that. But I think the residual thing would be good too, especially if it's for like, key iconic roles because as we know as we've known time and again especially like for games like Dead Rising or whatnot if you replace a voice ah, even Metal Gear is a good example David Hater has been voicing the character for ages but when you have a Hollywood guy taking over if you cannot make a deal with David Hater then yeah of course the video game producer is going to have to ship the game for people and if they have to replace a voice actor with someone who can they can somehow afford it like Kiefer Sutherland sure if they had to get it running sure why not and the game did sell, unfortunately. So it's proof that, unfortunately, video game voice acting is still like slightly lower beyond in the tier list when it comes to priorities where, you know, gameplay and sound and, you know, shipping the game matters, right? 
Mm, yeah, I mean Japan is a country that is highly reliant on VOs, right? Considering the kind of products that they they put out, you know. Yes, the sales, the images, and this because they have to do more than just VO. They also got to sing too. They got to do fan appearances and whatnot. It's a lot. It's also a lot of work too. Different culture, lah. Yeah, and the story is getting messier, I, I guess, and it's still developing. Um, well, Platinum did confirm. They did put up an official statement that yeah, don't harass the people who are involved with the voice acting, all that. So just calm down. And we're trying to resolve this. Uh, basically, um, this just saying that. Uh, I think it's like a non-statement, but it's still like, at least they put out something lah. At the very least. Hmm. And I know we're going to be talking about the game a bit later, but um, right now, does it affect the sales of the game? Oh no, it won't. In fact, <laughs> I think you're going to have more people playing and curious about the game now, which is, I guess, good considering that Bayonetta one and two had you know, publishing and release histories. The game is not really like a billion dollar franchise as Helena has claimed because it's not big. It's like, I would say it's considered niche in a sense. I mean, the biggest title that Platinum Games has ever made is probably near Automata and that's because Square Enix helped. I I have to be realistic here. Like, I mean, as much as I love Bayonetta, it's not a multi-billion dollar franchise, yo. <laughs> Not even half half a half a billion, right? Even no, it's not. It's not. I mean, this okay. I guess you could say, I ironically, because of what Helena did to break NDA and you know, basically kill off a career in video game voice acting, she said Bayonetta. People are going to be more curious about Bayonetta now, you know, especially with part three that's coming out tomorrow for everyone to play. Um, okay, we're going to talk about the game later, but but you know, do you see an ending to this story? Um, no, uh, I believe that this whole saga about VOs being underpaid is still going to go on. That's going to be an ongoing story here and there. But in terms of like the he says, she says thing with Platinum Games and Bayonetta 3, I hope that's over. But it's really sad that this is actually clouding the issue of video game voice actors not getting the amount they deserve. Especially if a game does a lot, like maybe your Bioshocks or your Last of Us or your God of Wars, and your... Name another big franchise, like, I mean, there's a lot more, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, voice actors are important because, like you, see, you know, like the games that you mentioned, like, they were all iconic, not just because of the games themselves, but also because of, you know, the voices behind the games, right? Yeah, so, people yeah. remember David Hater from Solid Snake because they mm. remember Solid... Solid David Hater gave the characteristic of Solid Snake in the first few Metal Gears, the, the, like the PlayStation 1 Metal Gears and onward. And you have Jen Jennifer Hale herself. She made the role of Captain Shepard in the Mass Effect game. So without her representing the female side, there wouldn't be a characteristic Captain Shepard. Cool. All right. So moving on. Uh, we've got a couple more crazy news. Fandom has acquired GameSpot, GameFAQs, Giant Bomb, and Metacritic for a total sum of US $55 million. Sources close to Fandom basically said that that was the amount among the other properties like Comic Vine and so forth. So, yeah, acquiring the brands, according to Fandom, will expand that gamer audience, which is one of the largest with 115 million video game fans, 17 million pages of content, and 100,000 gaming communities per Fandom's 222 State of Gaming report. And that's pretty much the big news lah, in terms of like, oh, who basically GameSpot and GameFAQs and Giant Bomb were owned by Red Ventures Media. And then now they're being passed off to a fandom like, I guess, a really, really hot potato. 
So hopefully this is a better management lah for you know GameSpot and others because I've heard some behind the scenes stuff where it's pretty bad for some writers here and there. But you know, hopefully it turned out better for the better. Yeah, I think one way or another, a lot of a lot of companies are trying to still get that that gaming pie as well, right? But I mean, by the same time, in the next news, it also shows that we you know maybe you know it's not as easy to to I guess to go down the traditional way, I suppose. Yes, yes. So G Four TV a channel that has been around back then and then it went into slumber. Like, it was really prominent in the 2000s. They had a relaunch in 2021 November with G4 and x and X-Play. Now, unfortunately, less than a year after that, um, Comcast had to shut down G4 less than a year after that. They had to lay off about 200 plus people ongoing. And staff were informed of the shutdown via an email from Comcast Spectator CEO Dave Scott with the email stating... You know, with the whole, hey, we were reintroduced last year to tap into the popularity of gaming. And unfortunately, because of low viewership and a lack of sustainable funds for the reason, well, that's why it failed. So the second chance because of, you know, viewership and lack of sustainability. It's not what they hoped. And then I know disappointed news. And the worst part is a lot of people, especially the completionist Girard Khalil, actually found out about the loss, about him getting laid off from his job on Twitter. So... That's pretty bad news. Yeah, I I think I mean even even bringing back you know G four to a certain extent is also a very nostalgic move, right? I mean considering that I grew up watching all these shows, but you know even I don't watch them anymore. I can tell you as someone who is running a video game website right now, the problem here is because they spend way too much on something that's general in an environment where every YouTube content creator caters to different specific topics in gaming, whether it's Call of Duty, Fortnite, or even Bayonetta and, you know, different niche games or even Japanese games. We're, G4 opened up in a different market. They did not adapt to it. They generalized all the content and they have like 200 people working in the office in like the studio when, you know, like half the content they made, it's like, you know, we're getting like um, different streamers and different partners like Sphere Hunter and whatnot, you know, coming on as a guest. And that also would probably cost a lot of money too, hiring these people here and there. Maybe they're doing it for free out of loyalty to G4. And because of that, that's not sustainable in the long run because you also have to pay all these people to get all these things all prepped up and whatnot. And yeah, I'm, it's sad that G4 shut it less than a year. But I'm really not surprised given that they spent a lot of money on this, the licensing with paying streamers and the people working in the studio. And also, I think there was also this one a little shoutcast. Um, not shoutcast, sorry. There was a bit of a show thing where one of its commentators actually did like a whole thing where it berates its male, like its male audience. Like, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Like, stand up against feminism and stuff that was a bit of a tirade that was probably like a breaking point for a lot of people to basically shun G4 like saying this is not the G4 that they remembered or the X-Play that they remembered they thought it was a nostalgic cash grab but they did not adapt to the current market of video making reviewing and content creating now granted I did like some of the stuff Adam Sessler did like some videos here and there but that's not enough you need more and something different and something bigger something different but they didn't st- I mean unfortunately that's how it turned out they spent too much money and get, get so little in return okay moving on uh, I think and this is a 
I, I mean, it's kind of big, but at the same time, it's not really a surprise considering how, I guess, a lot of people have been talking about it, right? Yes, there were a lot of leaks considering that Silent Hill is going to make a comeback. So Konami, they did not premiere a live stream. They published a video that everyone can actually skip through all the way to the end to see what's going on with whatever games they have. So to recap, they have announced a Silent Hill 2 remake by Bloober Team with the composer Akira Yamaoka coming back, Silent Hill Townfall by No Code, the studio behind Observation, Silent Hill Ascension, a new horror game experience by Bad Robot Studio, you know, founded by J.J. Abrams. It's possibly a narrative-based branching choice cloud streaming experiment. And Silent Hill F, a Japan-style horror game set in the 1960s, written by Ryukishi 07 of Higurashi When They Cry fame, and creature character designs by Kera, whose artwork is pretty, you know, mysterious and very oblique, creepy, kind of like the HR, not quite HR Geiger, but kind of is, but not really. Like his own take, you know, something you see, it's unique, but also horrifying at the same time. So yeah, that's like one, two, three, four, four Silent Hill games that are announced. And the one key thing that I actually, that actually stood out to me was basically Konami creating new figures and toys based off Silent Hill 2's characters. And the one that I actually kind of want to buy was basically the dog behind the console for one of the Silent Hill 2 endings. They actually have a toy for that coming out soon, probably next year or the year after. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. What, what do you make of this move? Considering that, you know, I mean, people are just... Honestly, I think people's expectations is just low, right? They're just expecting at least one, you know, new Silent Hill game or one remake. But, you know, you get now you get like a bunch of Silent Hill products. <laughs> I guess some people are happy, but at the same time, it's weird that Konami accidentally published the entire video instead of doing like a premiere. Like when you look at the video, it's like you can see like there's a build-up going on, there's a countdown timer. But when it's video, you can just skip straight to the <laughs> to the to like the, all the trailers and everything. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Now, having said that, a lot of people are kind of cautious about Bluebird Team making Silent Hill 2 because they have made games like Layers of Fear and the Medium, which have gotten mixed reviews from horror gaming aficionados. Some people thought it was okay. Some people said it was like the worst thing they've seen and played since since you know Silent Hill Downpour. <laughs> But generally, yeah, people are mixed about this because they don't know if Blooper Team can handle the nuances that Silent Hill 2 had created back in like the PlayStation 2 era. And for me, myself, I'm kind of curious about Silent Hill F, like how, what they'll do. It's just a trailer. But I can see that with the reveal they have on the monster, I think they took inspirations from different Taiwanese and Japanese horror films that came out the past few years. So it's, I'm curious, but... Cautiously optimistic. Mm, yeah. Um, can Konami be trusted considering their I mean, recent track record with all of their franchises these days? <laughs> I'll just be wary, but you know, it's nice that they're actually going back to this well, but we'll see how that goes in the next few years. I mean, I remember I was very skeptical about Double Helix making the next Killer Instinct back in 2013, but when the game came out, I loved it. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Your soul requires cleansing. Ashley Graham, are you in here? Just let me go. Listen. You're in the president's orders and... What is that? What do we do? Now, on the other spectrum of the survival horror side of things, Capcom 
has showcased Resident Evil 4 Remake. Like, a lot of gameplay, like 9 minutes worth, along with a new trailer showcasing Ada Wong, Ashley, the girl that Leon is supposed to rescue, and Lord Salazar, and even the giant you fight in the first few hours of the game. So yeah, the, ga- the gameplay is tense, but it's definitely, definitely familiar. So if, I mean, it's nice to see Leon getting his roundhouse kickback and, you know, having like, you know, B-movie quote quips when he's fighting. That's kind of cool and all that. But it's kind of trying to be a bit more serious, like with Resident Evil 2 and the Le- Resident Evil 3 remake. I mean, have you seen it? What do you think about it? Yeah, it does look good. That's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of people were a bit worried about the remake for this game particularly because, I mean, obviously the the original one is a classic and a lot of people have also argued that, oh, maybe, you know, the, the original one is, is, I guess, quote-unquote, modern enough that it doesn't need a remake. But, you know, having seen the video, I was like presently impressed and kind of looking forward to it because I think this is, this is um, yeah, it definitely looks like, you know, good. Like much better than I can even expect, lah. So yeah. Oh, and also has a release date now, the twenty fourth of March, twenty twenty three, for PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. So do note that it's only coming out for PS four, not for Xbox One. So it's like the next gen stuff and PC. Well, current gen anyway. But it, I think it just showcases that yeah, all the video game companies are slowly just making games exclusively for PS five and Xbox series, because you know it's going to be a bit hard to do backwards scaling tech stuff. Moving on, the International 2022 just ended over the weekend with Tundra Esports emerging victorious after a 3-0 win against Team Secret in the final. The tournament was held in Singapore and according to John, the tournament went on with some hiccups. So what's apparently interesting is how TI 2022 started on the wrong foot for the first few days from its debut with teams filing reports over unfair advantages via soundproofing room where you can hear the commentary and PGL itself, the organizers, ignoring player feedback during the first few days. Veteran Dota 2 players, Cap and Puppy, said they didn't get TI vibes for the majority of the Suntech Singapore venue, which might dissipate because I think, oh yeah, they're also... Team Secret also complained that there was no opening ceremony where usually Game Newell will actually pop up welcoming everyone to the international and how unfair it was that only four teams have only get to experience playing in the stadium, the indoor stadium with the cheering crowd for just two days. Uh, well, the ticket prices for the whole event are, and especially the finals also didn't help matters much. Mm, but otherwise, um, I mean, it sounds quite... I won't say bad, but sounds you know less than ideal. But otherwise, um, the tournament uh, went ahead well. Uh, I guess it went ahead well. People did their matches, and people actually enjoyed watching what's going on. But you know, kerfuffles here and there usually happens with events. But it's very prominent considering that the international usually have like a high bar for quality when it comes to producing esports content and, you know, making a tournament, a major especially, like a major, major tournament for the game itself. So it's kind of surprising to see how, you know, they dropped the ball in certain regards for this. Because usually when you see TI, it's usually like top tier, like the apex of video game esports tournament for the MOBA side of things. Mm, true. All right. And last but not least, um, we have a news with CD Projekt Red. Yes, yes. So CD Projekt are making a couple of new games. I believe they're going to be making three new Witcher titles, a Cyberpunk sequel, and a Witcher 1 remake, just called the Witcher remake. The new remake will be rebuilt from the ground up using Unreal Engine 5. As you remember, 
The first Witcher was actually done with the Aurora engine, the one that's used by Neverwinter Nights back then, and will most likely resemble Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. I mean, this is a prediction. It's still early in development, courtesy of developers Fool's Theory, but CD Projekt Red is providing full creative supervision. And also in a Sufimitsu interview, CD Projekt Red has confirmed that there are no plans for a second season for Cyberpunk Edge Runners. It's a standalone project. However, they are open to doing something completely different in the Cyberpunk universe. Just not a season 2 or a follow-up to Edge Runners. I mean, there's a reason why people who finish a show burst into tears when they hear the famous song, I really want to stay at your house, right? <laughs> what, do, what do you make of this? Considering I think you, you spoke highly of, of the, the, the show, right? Oh, the anime is really good. I I mean, yes, it's, it's, there's a reason why it's standalone and we already know why it's, there's not going to be a season 2 from that. So, But it's good. That, you know, we have Studio Trigger and maybe CD Projekt still open with, hey, we're going to do more animation, you know, for cyber- for the Cyberpunk universe. Just not an Edge Runners follow-up, for obvious reasons. That was Jonathan Leo from Kakuchopere.com looking back at some of the biggest news in the gaming world this month. We're going to make way for some messages. After this, October releases including Simulacrow 3, Marvel Snap, and Mario Plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope. Stay tuned, this is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopere.com, joins me this month for our monthly roundup of news and games. We have a bunch of interesting releases this month, but before getting to them, John is going to share his experience playing the Street Fighter VI beta. Oh yes, the Street Fighter VI beta. So that came out around the weekend of the first week of October. You had six characters, no sorry, eight characters you get to pick. And basically, it's just online fighting, more or less. And it's basically what I wanted in the beta and a lot more. The training mode is very, very detailed. The fights, the connections with the rollback netcode is very, very stable. I mean, out of the 100 matches I've had, I think only one or two were pretty bad. And plus, there's a no contest option where if both players are having difficulty with the online, they can just hold the start button to end the match. Or at least end the round. So it can fight someone else with better connection. And the fighting itself, the combat, everything is really great. The new drive impact mechanic and the drive gauge system really helps you create more combos and, you know, be more free when you're fighting and open up new combo possibilities for different characters here and there. And some characters who are standouts like Jury and Ken, they're like the best versions they've been in this game. And the new characters are really fun with Jamie with his drinking mechanic where he actually gets more moves the more he drinks. And... Kimberly, who's basically a ninja, and she works really well. All in all, I love the beta. If this is like the... If, let's just say, Capcom keeps up with the quality with this, with the final release of the game next year, I think we're going to see the golden age of fighting games pop up in 2023. Mm-hmm. Sounds fantastic. You're definitely impressed? Sounds like you're definitely impressed then. I'm very impressed, yes. And moving on, we have Simulacraft 3, which came out, I believe, this week. It's a, adventure, it's a horror adventure game all set from a phone. You're in a haunted town of Stone Creek and you have to uncover the truth using a missing victim's phone. If you're into mysteries and horror, you cannot go wrong with Simulacra 3. It's another great effort from the folks at Kaigan Games and Neon Doctrine and it's great to see that the Malaysian games industry is continuing to grow with more and more games worth playing. Um, is this game worth checking out? Yes. Uh, yes, yes. It's about 10 US if I recall and if you're into 
survival. I mean, it's not survival horror. It's more like an adventure game with horror elements here and there. So you're following through a spooky story. You got to solve puzzles and, you know, do even do some stuff in real time, helping out people who are on like a video camera and you got to help them out before they get killed, you know, by the mysterious force in the game. And yeah, you also got Signalis, uh, another classic survival horror experience in a dystopian future. It's got retro style, 3D graphics, combat system and inventory, and old school horror game atmosphere. Its interface takes a while to get used to, and it's really not meant for people who just prefer like a walking sim or like a a more streamlined horror experience. But this game is actually meant for hardcore retro horror game fans who miss the days of Resident Evil 1 and 2. The old PS1 games, not the remake. And that's a game I think you might be interested in, Marvel Snap. Have you played that? Nope, but I've seen the ads on YouTube a lot. I'm not sure whether I want to actually play it, but let me know what was what was the game about. Oh uh, yeah, it's a player versus player online card game in the veins of Hearthstone where power stacking matters. You fight 1v1, you place cards, get the most value of power to take over two out of three spots and have up to six turns to play all your cards or most of your cards to calculate to get the final calculation. So if you win two out of three places with the biggest power value, you win. It's a very simple mechanic and the games go by really fast. If you want like a Hearthstone game but speedier and with more streamlined mechanics and with Marvel characters, you should try this one out. I mean, it's free for one and it's also made by the same people who made Hearthstone who left Blizzard and it also has a card, it also has an Uncle Ben card which you can sacrifice to summon Spider-Man. Wow, okay. (laughs) I know, right? It's (laughs) it's funny and awkward and, you know, cringy at the same time but hey, it works mechanically honestly, so... (laughs) And having so, uh, a free Spider-Man, that's good, you know. Yeah, yeah, but that's, 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 I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. You're right, you're right. <laughs> it's thematic. And yeah, the big one, I think the, the big game here also as well is uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Roman numeral 2, not number 2, where you fight multiplayer against other, you know, children in PvP multiplayer, online glory with modern guns, kill streaks, you know, army camels and AAA shooting stuff. And yeah, it's also got a campaign mode where, you know, it follows up after the storyline of 2019's Modern Warfare. Yeah. Is it as good as the, as the 2019 Modern Warfare? Well, according to my colleague who played and reviewed the campaign mode, he actually loved this campaign mode. It's like a great little follow-up to the previous game with different missions here and there that are really solid. There's even like a tribute to the Modern Warfare 1 or 2 where you basically in the ghillie suit, except it's just a bit more happening. It's, a, it's like a different take for 2022. So it's a sniper mission, you're in cover, and a lot of things escalate. So it's very tense and very fun. Mm, okay. Um, the multiplayer is just same old, same old, right? I believe so. I mean, the gunplay is a little bit different. There's a bit more louder guns. A bit, I mean, I guess we'll find out more. I mean, it's it just came out. So we'll probably need to play more of it to find out. But it looks promising, according to some impressions of the beta. And wow, there's a couple more games. I'm just going to speed through this. Potionomics is a cozy sim game where you run the potion shop in the fantasy world. Now, you not only make potions and manage a store and deal with people, but you also do haggle battles with cards. So it's basically 1v1 with cards where you basically try to haggle your price to as high as possible from the customer so that they can pay more. If you lose the battle, I guess you have a bad customer. So... There's like three-way boss battles even between you, your rival, and the judge sometimes, you know, for potions, to judge potions and whatnot. So the card mechanic in this game actually is pretty interesting. But what I like about Potionomics is it combine all these aspects, a life sim, 
a visual novel and a card building deck and even a potion making simulator combines it and makes it whole and make it very rich. So it's definitely an indie game worth getting. And next up, we got three more. We've got Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope. It's basically an XCOM strategy style title, except we control Mario and a bunch of rabbits who are basically have guns and are cosplaying as, you know, Nintendo characters. So the game itself has really flexible movement where you can actually do like, you can chain combo movements like move, jump, slide to get to certain areas and get a high vantage point. You got like a lot of worlds to explore and, you know, solve puzzles in. Cute characters with different power-ups to whether you want to be a sniper character or you want to actually have like an all-rounder with Overwatch and, you know, have a melee-like character. And yeah, the combat is sort of really fun with different puzzles and different challenges. Your tolerance for rabbit slapstick might vary if you want to buy this game but i'd say it's a really good strategy game to buy which is you know fun and i think you could get like 20 plus hours out of it out of fun you know and it's exclusive for nintendo switch just a heads up <laughs> yes and we can talk about overwatch 2 it's just um did we talk about this previously i think you you guys touch on it for a bit because i think you had access to the beta but what's what was the difference between i guess the final release version. Uh, yeah, it is free to play. It's not so much a sequel as it's more like a significant big update to the PvP mode where the player count is now 5v5 instead of 6v6. Tanks are a bit more strong. It's a free to play game where, you know, and there's a queue going on and there's a battle pass and everything. So it's a little different. It's a little same. It feels like it's coming back home like you never left. But at the same time, these microtransactions are getting very, very in your face in the auctions, especially with certain bundles where you cannot just buy one character costume piece. You have to buy like the whole bundle for 40 US. While the game might seem to have revitalized the hero shooter genre, there are still a few flaws that may, you know, turn off veterans of the game who actually prefer paying full price for a game like this. And in terms of the other added content, that's only going to come next year, right? So uh, Yeah, yeah. That's content is actually happening in a couple few months here and there. But in terms of video, in terms of like the single player mode, that's only coming out next year. Lord knows when. Yeah. A lot of people said that this game is literally Overwatch 1.5. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it actually feels like 1.5. You're right. It does sound like 1.5. I guess we can talk more about it when they are things worth talking about, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe about three months or so. Or maybe six months, you know. Six months later, the uh, the state of Overwatch 2 online. All right. So the last game we can talk about is Bayonetta 3, which is basically an action, hyper-action, 3D action game, you know, starring Bayonetta and a bunch of new characters you can control. So this venture comes with full-scale kaiju battles, chase sequences, new sword-wielding characters, who are wildly fun to play as, and the series of 2D self-based chapters that follows one of the characters, John, as she infiltrates enemy headquarters. All of this, you know, along with like taking the best parts of Bayonetta 1 and 2, makes for a pretty good experience as far as the reviews are concerned. So far, all the reviews for this game are very, very positive. Gameplay is lightning fast and smooth, yet accommodates for different play styles. Viola, the new character who's there, is also really cool. Really nice play style. And the scale and the framing of the game itself, the cinematography and everything is also really cool. It's got a really cool story and all that. Although, when you control like the Wicked Weave creatures separately, they say that it's a bit iffy at times to control. And, you know, there are some graphical issues considering that this is a game running on 2017 Nintendo Switch hardware. But all in all, all the reviews say, say that it's really good stuff. Promising. Okay, alright. Okay, and on that note, thank you so much, John. 
Um, so what's what can we expect uh, for next month? Um, well, there's obviously God of War, but other than that, um, off the top of my head, I think God of War is in my head. Oh, there's also Sonic Frontiers, and hopefully that Bayonetta VO story is put to rest. That's all. That's all I ask. You're tuned into GG Well Played, and I was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com, summarizing some of the biggest news and releases in this month of October. Head on over to their website, kakuchopore.com, to check out more gaming news and reviews. If you'd like to listen to this episode again for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at pfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at pfmradio. My name Miss Anif Baharudin, thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.